As you're finding your seats, go ahead and turn into 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read verses 2 through 10. Would you follow along with me? It says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we need you this morning. We need you every morning, but particularly here as we approach your word. God, we want your interpretation. We want the spirit to bring light to the scripture that we may come away knowing that you have spoken this morning. We want to hear your truth. We want to submit to you. We want you to guide us in the way of life, and we will follow where you lead, Lord Jesus. We ask in his name. Amen. I've had the privilege and and sometimes hardship of living in many different parts of this country. And there are several different factors to take into account when evaluating the different places. There's terrain, there's proximity to water, the default serving of tea as either sweet or unsweetened, (laughs) the kindness of the locals, or whether people call soft drinks Coke the way God intended. In my family, a a typical conversation about a location would include how close it was to certain theme parks, and there would be a lot of excitement if if it was within reasonable driving distance. When I lived in Ohio for several years, it scored pretty low on most of my personal evaluations, but there was one thing that almost made up for the entire state, and it was called Cedar Point. If you've never been to Cedar Point or even heard of it, it's this theme park, and it's on a peninsula that shoots right out into the middle of Lake Erie. It has the tallest, the fastest, and best roller coasters in this country because it is just full of roller coasters. So for a couple of summers when I lived in Ohio, I was fortunate enough to have a season pass, and I could go to Cedar Point regularly. And I'll never forget this one day, the 4th of July, 2007. It's over 100 degrees There's this crazy fast and tall coaster called the Dragster. And it was so good that when you saw an hour and a half wait, you thought, oh good, it's a short line. (laughs) So we commit to the line knowing full well that there's poor shade cover, 
for the line. And we're counting the cost that we're just going to be pools of sweat by the end of this. And, and after about half an hour of standing in line, we get the worst news possible. The ride has broken down. If you've ever encountered this situation at the theme park, you know that it quickly divides people. The situation calls into question, what kind of theme park attendee are you? Which kind of person are you? Are you the kind that commits to the ride that you got in line for? Or are you the kind that bolts to the carousel? Not because it's more thrilling, just because it's moving right now. (laughs) This may be kind of a silly example, but there's definitely parallels to what we're talking about in this passage today. As Christians, we've already become God's children, but Christ has not yet made his return. So we recognize that we're in this waiting period. We don't know how long this is going to last. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. There's poor shade cover and it's hot. The trials of waiting in this life, they aren't here to prove if we're worthy of making it to the end. The trials reveal who we've been all along. How we conduct ourselves while we are in this waiting period, it'll reveal us to be one of two kinds of people. John is offering us warnings in this passage today by describing our behaviors and our attitudes in this waiting so that in the end we might prove ourselves to be the committed people that we claim to be. So let's look at verses 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So the first distinction that John makes here is that we are either people who abide in Christ or we are people that practice lawlessness. And as is going to be the case for the other characterizations he makes, this is a binary thing. This is either or kind of situation. There's not a middle ground. He makes the bold statement that if we abide in Christ, then we do not keep on sinning. If we keep on sinning, then we do not know him. Now, let's take a look back at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, because we're going to see that there's an important conversation about sin early on in the book that's going to shed more light on this passage as well. So, just turn the page, chapter 1, 8 through 10. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The important thing we learn from that passage is that John is under no delusion that we should be sinless people. So when we read today that those who practice sinning do not know Christ, I don't want you to think that John has all of a sudden upped his expectations of who he should be or that he's changed in any way of his understanding of sin. He knows that we have sin. We shouldn't lie and act like we don't. More than that, a provision was given to us that we confess our sins, we repent from our actions, and we receive forgiveness and a cleansing of sin. So looking back at today's passage, let's be clear on a couple of terms here. The practice of sinning and someone who keeps on sinning. This is talking about people who continue to walk in these ways even though they know it's wrong. Even though there's conviction of that sin, they persist. They make a habit and they do not change. Unchecked sins quickly become habits. And then excuses get made for your habits. And then you persist in them. 
I, I want you to not think of yourself as someone who is unable to make a practice of sinning. John lets us know that the whole mission of Christ was to end our practice of sin. Look at verse 5. It says, you know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. If we truly claim to know Christ, then we know full well that the Son of God came and took on human flesh so that he could go to the cross on our behalf. He went to the cross taking all of our sin, all of the evil, lawless behavior, every wrong thought, every careless word we have ever spoken, every sinful action he took upon himself He took the punishment that we deserved. And he did it all without ever committing a sin of his own. And John is pointing to that and saying, how can you act as if that has no effect on you? If you truly know Christ and his sinless perfection, how can you not strive to the same? If you make a practice of sin, it should really make you wonder, do you know the sinless one? John gives us a clue as to what might be driving some of this behavior. It's where he says in verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So if you persist in, in willing transgression of God's law, you are acting like no law applies to you. To practice lawlessness really comes down to an attitude. And the attitude is, no one gets to tell me what to do. You've convinced yourself that you're in some wild west of morality where you act according to your own standards and preferences. I get to live my own truth. I get to decide right and wrong. I get to be the one making those decisions. Now, I think it's a rare occasion that someone's actively thinking these things when they break God's law. It's just that that attitude is so deeply ingrained in us from years and years of acting this way that we don't even recognize how it controls our behaviors. Those who abide in him will not continue to make a practice of sin. This comes out of our response to the gospel. Before Christ, we were all going our own way. We were all acting like his law did not apply to us. But when we abide in Christ, we lay aside our rights to our own authority over right and wrong, and and we submit to his authority. This means that we submit to Christ instead of searching out other authorities that agree with us. Now, I don't know how it works in your household, but sometimes our children question our authority. They'll ask me a question. A decision has been made. The decree has gone out from father to child. And sometimes it's only a minute later, and they go and ask the same question to mom while I'm standing right there. I sometimes feel like a mall cop in my own household where I have to say, no, really, I do have just as much authority. I I can actually wield the power that I claim to have. When I reflect on that, though, I see that it's with great purpose that John addresses the church as little children. Because are we really much different after we've grown up? We know God's commands. It wasn't for lack of clarity that we're disobeying. It's because we don't want that command to apply to us. We know how hypocritical our actions are. We know our searching out for that verse that if I just tweak it or if I just take it out of context, then it will excuse my behavior. We know the trying to silence the voice of conviction that comes inside of us because we don't like the way that makes us feel. 
I want you to recognize the seriousness of this warning that he's given here today. Those who persist in their sinfulness only prove in the end that they do not know Christ. If you insist upon your own way, you are saying the blood of Jesus has nothing for me. You're going to meet many people in this life who like Jesus. They like his forgiveness. They like his ethics on loving others. They like his care for the poor. But they hate his lordship. And they will resist submitting to him as king. If you insist on acting like God's law does not apply to you, if you think your sin is okay because it's not hurting anyone, if you continue defining your own truth, you will only reveal that you do not know him and you have never known him. Let's continue on. Look at verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So if we know Christ, it is going to pour out of us in righteous living. And once again, we have this binary understanding here that we are either making a practice of righteousness or we're making a practice of sinfulness. And too often we let ourselves off the hook by saying, well, I'm not doing bad things, so I'm okay. I want you to remember there's, there's two kinds of sin. There's one, the sin of commission, which is where I am actively doing something that is wrong. And then there's the sin of omission, where I fail to do what is right. The opposite of doing something wrong isn't being neutral. The opposite of doing wrong is doing right. We act as if there's this giant no-man's land where everything's ambiguous and no one's really right or wrong and we can just hang out here in this middle neutral zone. But that's exactly what John is saying about being lawless. That is exactly what it means by being lawlessness. We are trying to excuse ourselves from submitting to God's righteous decrees. If we claim to be righteous people, we will live righteous lives. If we fail to live righteous lives then we're in sin. He goes on to say that making a practice of sin is of the devil. If we make a practice of sin, we show ourselves to be in cahoots with him, that we are colluding with the devil. From the beginning, Satan has insisted upon his own way. He has been questioning God's authority. He has been trying to undermine God. And we know from Scripture that before Christ, we willingly did the same thing. We willingly submitted to Satan's authority. When you take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, it's going to be up on the screen, 1 through 3. It says, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We all walked in this way doing whatever seemed right in our own minds to the pleasure of our own bodies. And Paul rightfully puts this in the past tense, as does John here saying, the Son of God appeared to destroy the works of the devil. So once again, we're, we're faced with seeing that it is incompatible to claim Christ as Lord, claim that he destroyed the works of Satan, and then join right in with Satan's work. If we persist in our sin, then we've already chosen what side we're on. 
We have made it clear whom we are for. From the smallest to the largest sin, we continue in the evil deeds that the devil has been doing, that he's been sowing into creation from the beginning. If we choose to make a practice of sin, we're merely an agent of Satan, sowing discord and rebellion and division. Now, in the midst of these tough warnings that John is giving, I want us to not forget the power of the gospel that he is proclaiming here. Christ appeared to take away sin. Christ appeared to destroy the works of the devil. There's power in that. There's freedom there. We are no longer bound by our sin. We're no longer obligated to satisfy the desires of our flesh. We've been freed from that bondage. But I know there are some of you here today who are going to hear this, who who want to heed this warning who recognize the hypocrisy that you live in by professing Christ and then just feeling unable to overcome the sin in your life. And sometimes hearing that sin doesn't go away might just make us feel fatalistic. Might just feel like we have no power or ability to resist it. And I want you to know that it is absolutely possible to hate sin and to also hate yourself for your inability to resist sin. And I want to be careful here because acknowledging that this is true doesn't mean that those sins are okay. It doesn't mean you're off the hook for those sins. It's never okay to sin. It's just that only hearing warnings about your sin might just compound shame that you already feel about your sin. It might not motivate you to actually do anything. And I'm not sure of all the sins or the reasons by which we feel helpless and in bondage to these sins. But there's usually deeper issues that need to be addressed. Are you feeling helpless in your struggle against sexual sin? Pornography in particular. Or what about anger? Are you feeling helpless in in bitterness and resentment? Are you battling alcohol or drug abuse? Are there sins attached to your body image? Are you bound by worry and anxiety? Are you struggling in doubt? If this is you, I want you to take the warnings about sin seriously. But I want you to experience the freedom that is promised to us in Christ. You need to hear that the battle against sin was never something you were meant to do alone. You need to confess and confide in others. You need to talk to a pastor You need to walk through these difficult struggles with other people that you trust. Jesus came to take away sin, to destroy the works of Satan, and to bring us life, abundant life. If we do not find freedom from these sins, then we will not experience the life that Christ has purchased for us. So please, commit to today being the day that we take these sins seriously. Come talk to me afterwards. Look at the back of the bulletin. You'll find all of our emails. Let's walk through this together. Let's move on and read verses 9 and 10. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. 
John gives us his third binary statement here. We are either children of God or we are children of the devil. And the last two verses tell us that we are clearly showing who our father is. It's going to be evident what family you come from. If you are rejecting sinful practice, if you're submitting to Christ's law, if you're practicing righteousness, then it is evident that you're a child of God. If you are making a practice of sin, you are of the devil. You're either actively pursuing these things, actively submitting to Christ, or you're of the devil. How can John be so precise and cut it so clean to say that it's either this way or it's this way? Now let's look at verse 9. It says, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Being born of God is a rebirth in your soul. When, when your faith is in Christ, there's a fundamental change that happens inside your being. The Spirit of God comes to rest inside of you, and then there's a battle that begins to take place in your desires. If something prompts a sinful desire in your flesh that you had prior to knowing Christ, it's not that that desire no longer exists, but rather you now have the Spirit inside of you resisting your sinful flesh and pressing you towards righteousness. And this is something we've been talking a lot about this summer in our class on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead with all of that power lives inside of you. Now imagine that much power being behind the push against your sinful desires and driving you towards righteous living. With the omnipotent living God dwelling inside your bones, the refusal of sin in your life is inevitable. And if you try to make a practice of sin, you now have a great opposition inside of you. The reason John can draw such a clear line without any room for ambiguity is because you know if you have that power inside of you. The Spirit makes himself clear. The conviction and resistance to the things that you once reveled in and a firm desire to follow him in obedience, those are works of the Spirit inside of you. And this is why it doesn't work from the outside in. I can't just tell you, go do more good things You need to be more righteous because it's going to be a movement from inside of you, pouring out of you in righteous living. Now, this doesn't mean you're instantly perfect. Remember, we're still waiting for that day when Christ returns for that plan to be complete. You must ask yourself, is that the direction you're moving in? Has that work begun in you? If it has, you are a child of God, and this will be evident If you are persisting in sin and you do not have the conviction to stop, this here right now is your call to repentance. Don't resist the Holy Spirit any longer. He's calling to you to submit to Him and to walk away from your sin and to start walking in righteousness. Most importantly, if you have been making a practice of sin and you want to make the decision to follow Christ, you need to tell somebody. Tell someone you came with today. And, and say, I, I want to put my sinfulness be, behind me, and I want to walk in the way that is right. Tell someone in your family, tell another leader in the church, talk to me after the service. You need accountability. You need other people to know this transformation that's happening in you. 
If your desires have shifted to wanting to please God and wanting to do what is right, then this is evidence that you are a child of God. John is calling to the church, if you can affirm this, if you can see the evidence, then, then, then all the more live as who you are. And I know in, in recent church history, especially in America, we really like the pictures given to us of the revivals and the rededications, rebaptisms, and overall recommitting to life in Christ. Now, I think recommitting is good. There's a degree to which I think every morning we should look in the mirror and say, I am a child of God, and today I'm going to live as a child of God. But I think it's difficult if you've seen rededication and recommitment over and over again in your life. And there's too many churches that have made that a regular practice because it does nothing to our assurance of faith. And if anything, it just causes us a constant doubt of who we truly are. When Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he tells him that to follow Christ, you must be born again. There's an acknowledgement that the person that I am is dead, and I need to be made new. The rebirth is not something we enter into over and over again. John is telling us, you're either a child of God, and there's fruit of that, or you're a child of the devil. I think we really like the idea of rebirth as a clean slate, as a wiping clean of all the bad things that we've done and starting over in faith so that if we stray from the path, that we can always just come back and start over again. But when we think of it from that standpoint, it becomes easier to stay as children and refuse to grow up. God did not make us children to keep us as babies. The path you are on is you're born again so that you can grow up into a mature believer. This comes with pain. It comes with trials. It comes with waiting. And surely there's a parallel of those awkward adolescent years that we've all experienced. The point is this. God does not call us to constant rebirth. He is calling us to live out what he has already done for us. And this is the main point of all of this. We must live out who we truly are. This is why he can say, children of God don't continue sinning. Children of God make a practice of righteousness. Children of God will prove what family they come from. His call is not primarily to become children of God, although that gospel call is clearly evident from this. He is telling the church, you are God's children, and you must act like it. Your character and how you live daily is revealing of who you truly are. So if you are producing fruit that is inconsistent with who your father is, you need to remind yourself what family you come from. I'm sure you've been on pins and needles awaiting the dramatic conclusion of my roller coaster story. It was hot. It was uncomfortable. There was no end in sight for the waiting. It was a true test of our enthusiasm for this ride. And constantly we're having to ask ourselves, is it really worth it to wait in such conditions? We ended up waiting nearly three hours for this ride. And we went on it. We were mere puddles of sweat by this point. The reason we persisted was not because we were unaware of the cost. We didn't come away from that ride feeling bitter and resentful of all the time that we wasted standing in line. 
We waited that time because I come from a family of roller coaster enthusiasts. It's been passed down in my DNA that we persist in long lines in order to have the great payoff of a thrill ride. I learned from my parents. It was a necessary vetting process for my wife. (laughs) It's something I'm going to pass down to my own children. This is the family that I belong to. Until Christ returns, we are left in the waiting in this very broken and fallen world. The trials and the waiting are going to call into question who we are. So let us all the more persist in fighting against sin, making no allowance for sin to grow in our lives. Let us persist in righteous living, pursuing what is right, loving our brothers and sisters. We must remember the family we come from and show that by our actions. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come. Would you make yourself known? Would you make yourself present with us? Would you be the one that brings conviction of sin? If there's anything from this passage today that we need to learn, that we need to repent of, that we need to grow in, would you be the one driving that conviction? Would you lead us to life that is found in you, that is found because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross, that we can have that life? Lord, would you lead us in that way and help us to continually reveal who you've made us to be, all to the glory and praise of Jesus. Amen.